There's another uh, college I'm familiar with. It's, it's northeast, of, northeast of us in the city of Chennai. It's called the, the Hindustan Bible Institute. So it's been, been around for quite a while. It was founded by a man named Paul Gupta in 1952. So if you know anything about the history of India, this was a time of a lot of uh, upheaval and difficulties in India. India gained its independence in 1947 from what country? Great Britain, England, and then in 1950 was when India inaugurated their constitution. So after Britain partitioned India up into West Pakistan and East Pakistan, which is Bangladesh today, there's a lot of um, all the Muslims were going to those areas and all the Hindus were coming south into the, the subcontinent. So there's a lot of clash between these people groups, a lot of violence and bloodshed during this time. It was a very, very difficult time in India's history. But it was in 1952 when this other Bible college in Chennai was founded. And Paul Gupta's desire for that college was that they produce evangelists and church planners who could really go over all of India and really reach the country with the gospel. But there came, became a point when Gupta became very concerned that they were not accomplishing that vision. They were not producing men with a passion for evangelizing the lost. They were not producing evangelists and church planners. And this first came to his attention at one of their graduation banquets. So every year they would have a special meal for all of their graduating students. And at this meal, the students would go around and they would share with the others what they planned on doing once they left the college and, and graduated. And out of this one particular graduating class, there was only one student, only one, who was actually going out to be directly involved in ministry. All the others, they felt inadequate, they felt unprepared. Some of them were, were just going on for further studies. The Hindustan Bible Institute had experienced a lot of success over the, the many years of their existence. They had grown, they had become accredited, they had improved their programs of study, but ultimately the leadership of the college realized that they were still failing. They were failing to accomplish their goal for existing. They were not producing faithful men who were able to evangelize, plant churches, and teach others. They were ultimately failing to perpetuate gospel ministry. And that was the burden of the Apostle Paul near the end of his life. So you can go ahead and turn to the book of 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy is probably one of the last books, one of the last letters that we have that Paul wrote. Paul knew that after his death, the gospel ministry must continue. His successors must continue to train leadership who could continue the work of the ministry of teaching others. Now, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1-7 through 7 contain Paul's instructions to Timothy about perpetuating gospel ministry. How is this accomplished? So let's read these seven verses together. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men, who shall be able to teach others also. Thou, therefore, endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. And if a man also strive for masteries, yet is he not crowned except he strive lawfully. The husbandman that laboreth 
must be first partaker of the fruits. Consider what I say, and the Lord give thee understanding in all things. Now, before we look at this passage in detail, I want to talk a little bit about this man, Timothy, to whom Paul is addressing this letter. We're told that Paul first meets Timothy on his second missionary journey. Do you all remember how many missionary journeys Paul went on? There were three, three missionary journeys. This was the second missionary journey. And then he took a fourth journey to Rome. It was not intended to be a missionary journey, but God, um, God had other plans for Paul. We're told that his mother was Jewish and his father was Greek. He grew up in the town of Lystra, which is in south-central modern-day Turkey. Although Timothy lived very early on in the life of the church, he was actually a third-generation believer. We know from the first few verses of 2 Timothy that his grandmother Lois was the first one in his family who was converted. His mother was also a believer, making him a third-generation Christian. And he had an excellent reputation among the believers there in his hometown of Lystra. And even as far away as Iconium, which was uh, 30 miles away, the believers there were aware of him and heard of him and uh, knew of his excellent reputation and testimony for the Lord. And Paul took Timothy along with him for the rest of his second missionary journey. Timothy was very heavily involved with Paul. And then for all of his third missionary journey as well, Timothy was with Paul, very active in being trained and mentored under Paul himself. It's interesting how often Timothy shows up in Paul's letters. Paul mentions Timothy by name 17 times in his letters. And in fact, Timothy is listed as a co-author of, of several of six of those letters under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Paul and Timothy to the church at Philippi, or Paul and Timothy to the church at Colossae, or to the church at Thessalonica. The author of Hebrews also mentions Timothy. Apparently, Timothy had just been released from prison. And so there in the last chapter of Hebrews, the author of that book mentions that. Paul left Timothy at a number of these very small church plants that he started, and Timothy would often stay at these churches and really disciple and build these, these believers up. By the time that Paul is writing this letter to Timothy, Timothy is really a veteran minister of the gospel extensive missionary experience, pastoring experience, trained under Paul himself. Paul is probably um, writing this prison from Rome, um, probably languishing in the infamous Mamertine prison there. Paul knows that his death is imminent. And according to church tradition, Paul died only three years after writing this letter, uh, executed by Emperor Nero. But Paul is concerned to perpetuate the ministry of the gospel once he's off the scene, once he's gone. Who is going to carry on the work of the ministry? The gospel must continue to advance. But even a man like Timothy, with his extensive ministry experience, with his passion for the lost, with his wonderful reputation, even a man like Timothy needed this instruction and this advice from Paul. I'm sure there are none of us here who are anywhere near the level that Timothy was. And how much more do we need this instruction and this advice? This is, applies to all of us. All of us rub shoulders with, with people every day whom we exert an influence on. Uh, perhaps parents or, or children or siblings or co-workers. This passage in 2 Timothy teaches us that in order to perpetuate gospel ministry, 
servants of Christ must follow the four commands we find here. There are four imperatives in this passage, and I want to go ahead and point them out to you real quickly here. The first command is right there in verse 1. In verse 1, we are commanded to be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Verse 2 contains our next command. Our imperative in verse 2 is we are told right about the middle of the verse, we are told to commit certain things to faithful men. And our third imperative, third command, is in verse 3. What is the command in verse 3? What does it say? We are told to endure hardness. We are to suffer well is the idea. And then finally, verse 7 contains our final command. Paul tells us to consider what I say. So let's look at these commands in a little more detail with the time that we have this evening. First of all, in order to perpetuate gospel ministry, we must be strengthened by Christ's grace. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. God strengthens us with grace. Now, this almost sounds as if this is something that we are to be doing for ourselves. We are to be doing to ourselves. We are to be strong. We are to muster up this great, this, this strength somehow within ourselves. But actually, this verb is in the passive voice, which means this is not something that we do. It's not active, but it's passive. It's something that what? It's something that's done to us. It's something that we allow to be done to us. We do not strengthen ourselves, but we allow God to do the strengthening for us. We must have an attitude that will allow him to do this strengthening for us. This is an interesting verb in the New Testament. It doesn't occur very often, only seven times. But it's interesting to note that whenever a person is the subject of this verb, it's always in the passive voice. This is something that is done to people. But whenever God is the subject of this verb, it's always in the active voice. God is the one who does the action, and the people he does it to are us, believers in him. But God uses grace to achieve this strengthening. We are commanded to be strengthened in grace. The function of this strengthening is to augment, to support our ministry as Christians. Strengthening that God does by his grace. It's not something that we work for, but it's something that we allow to be done to us. It's something, it's a strengthening that allows us to be effective as servants of Christ. And the final phrase of verse 1 fills out our understanding of this grace. This grace in which we are strengthened is found where? In Christ Jesus. Whenever the New Testament speaks of the grace of Jesus Christ, it nearly always is referring to his goodness in providing salvation and the Christian calling. Earlier in 2 Timothy in chapter 1, Paul explains that God saved us and called us according to his grace. God strengthens us with our entire salvation experience provided by Christ. So how do we obey this first imperative, this command to be strengthened with the grace that is in Christ Jesus? Well, we must be surrendered to God to allow him to work through us. We must surrender our whole being to God, as it talks about in Romans chapter 12. We are to present our bodies a what? 
a living sacrifice so that he can do with us whatever he wants us to do. Meditate on the goodness of God in providing your justification, in working your sanctification, in making you one of his saints, one of his holy ones. And in this way, you will be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. So we're looking at Paul's instructions to Timothy about perpetuating gospel ministry. And first and most importantly, we must be strengthened with Christ's grace. Now the second command, verse 2, in order to perpetuate gospel ministry, we must deliver over what we have learned to others, commit what we've learned to others. So what is it exactly that we are to be committing to others? Well, right there in verse 2, the first part of verse 2, the things that thou hast heard of me in the presence of many witnesses. These are the things that we are to commit to others. Paul instructs Timothy to pass on the things that he has learned from him. These are things that Timothy has heard from Paul among many witnesses. Timothy was with Paul uh, for much of his second missionary journey and for all of his third missionary journey. I'm sure that Timothy heard Paul preach many, many times. There were many witnesses who could also attest to what Paul preached. Well, what did Paul preach? Well, on his missionary journeys, Paul really focused on virgin territory. Paul wanted to preach in places that had never heard the gospel, that, that had never heard the name of Christ. So Paul really focused on the gospel in his preaching. Uh, we have a sample of his preaching in Acts chapter 17, where Paul came to Thessalonica, and it talks about how he preached Christ there. It says that Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them. And for three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them out of the scriptures, opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead. And that this Jesus whom I preach unto you is Christ. Paul preached a crucified and resurrected Savior, Jesus Christ. And this is the message that Paul wants Timothy to commit to others, to pass on to others. But there are many, many other things that we find in Paul's epistles that I'm sure Timothy learned from Paul himself. Teaching regarding our, our justification in the book of Romans. Regarding our salvation that we heard this morning in the book of Ephesians. These books are filled with theology that Timothy, I'm sure, learned from Paul himself. These are the things that we are to commit to others. Well, to whom are we to commit this teaching to? Well, we are commanded to commit them to what kind of men? Faithful men. The same commit thou to faithful men. This word translated faithful here has a little bit of a broader meaning than our English word faithful. It often simply refers to people who are full of faith. Full of faith in the gospel. Believers. This word is used uh, back in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10, where it says that God is the Savior of all men, especially of the faithful, of those that believe. So the kind of people to whom we must entrust gospel teaching are people who are, are first of all, full of faith in the gospel, who are believers. But this word has the normal idea, the normal meaning that we think of when we use the word faithful. It carries the idea of someone who is reliable, someone who is trustworthy, someone who is dependable. These people are the kind of people that if we ask them to do something, we know that they'll do it. If we give them a task, we can be confident that they'll finish it. 
That brings us to our final part of verse 2. What are these people supposed to be faithful in doing? Why must we commit these things to others? We must commit what we have learned to others so that they, in turn, shall be able to teach others also. These people are individuals who will be faithful in passing on the message to others. We learn gospel truth, we deliver it to faithful men, and they teach it to others. We learn gospel truth, we commit it to faithful men, and they teach it to others. This is how the gospel ministry is perpetuated. We have a responsibility with things that we learn, things that you learn every week here in these pews. Responsibility with things is to pass them on, to commit them to others, to perpetuate the gospel ministry. Can we rely on you to deliver these, to to commit these things to others, to pass these things on, to perpetuate the ministry of the gospel? So we're looking at these four imperatives, these four commands that Paul gives Timothy about perpetuating gospel ministry. What's the first command in verse 1? He'd be strengthened with Christ's grace. What's the second command in verse 2? Commit what you've learned to others. And our third command here in verse 3, we are to suffer well. We are to endure hardness. Verses 3 through 6, Paul is actually drawing three analogies to illustrate this idea of the reality of suffering and the life of a servant who is perpetuating gospel ministry. In verses 3 through 4, he's, he's comparing our suffering to the suffering that a soldier endures in his self-denial, uh, denying himself of the pleasures of, of a civilian life. In verse 5, Paul compares our, our suffering to that of an athlete. The analogy doesn't come across real clearly in our King James, but I'll uh, mention that a little bit. And then in verse 6, Paul is talking about someone else. Who is he talking about in verse 6? He's talking about a farmer, a husbandman. First of all, we must suffer well as a soldier. It's not a question of if you will suffer. You will suffer. But we must make up our minds. We must make the choice now that we will suffer well and ask God to help us to do so. In this soldier analogy, Christ is our captain. He is our leader. He is our recruiter. He is the one who has called us into his service. And in this soldier analogy, Paul wants to teach us that a soldier refuses entanglements, entanglement in life affairs. And when he does that, his reward is that he pleases the one who called him. Soldier must surrender beneficial but entangling civilian affairs. The military can be a difficult calling for a family man. It can involve moving frequently from place to place. It can involve being away from your family for extended periods of time, being in places of danger oftentimes. Requires a lot of dedication, total immersion in that calling. He must be willing to go anywhere his military commander needs him. He cannot put his roots down in one location. A soldier often gives up the stability and ease that a civilian life affords in order to pursue that calling, that vocation of the military. But a soldier often does that so that he may please him who has chosen him to be a soldier. And we too, in a sense, are soldiers. Jesus Christ has called us to be his soldiers. He is the one who has chosen us. 
And as soldiers of Christ, we must renounce anything that might entangle us in our calling, that would hinder us from single-mindedly pursuing our service to him. We must renounce anything that might entangle us, that would hinder us in our calling. Let's be dedicated to and immersed in our calling as a soldier of Christ. We must be willing to do anything that Christ demands of us. Absolutely anything. A second analogy that Paul draws is that of an athlete in verse 5. Our King James, it says, if a man strive for masteries, and then he uses the word strive again at the end of the verse. This word strive for masteries, it comes from a single Greek word. Okay, I'm actually going to pronounce this word for you. Okay, you ready for a little Greek lesson? I want you to tell what English tell me tell me what English word it sounds like. The Greek word used here is the word athleo. Athleo. Does that kind of sound familiar? Yeah, we get the word athlete or athletics from that word. It's talking about someone who is competing as an athlete, someone who is striving for masteries in an athletic competition. And the the, the suffering that Paul wants to emphasize is uh, an athlete disciplining himself to compete according to the rules. The, the discipline it takes to, to achieve that point of skill does involve suffering. It involves a lot of discipline. Paul is warning us that we must be willing to suffer well, and sometimes our suffering is going to be that like that of an athlete. As Christians, we must maintain a lifestyle that is, that is pleasing to the Lord. It involves denying ourselves often of, of things that people of the world freely enjoy. Verse 5 says that an athlete is not crowned except he strive lawfully. And we too, if we, if we strive well as a Christian, we too will receive a crown. Later on in 2 Timothy in chapter 4, verse 8, Paul says that the Lord will give a crown of righteousness to all who love his appearing. Are you willing to suffer the self-denial and the discipline of the Christian life in order to perpetuate gospel ministry? The final analogy that Paul draws is that of a farmer, verse 6, the husbandman that laboreth. A farmer must work hard, but his reward is that he is the first partaker of the fruits. As Christians, we must be prepared to suffer. If we are going to perpetuate gospel ministry, we must be willing to undergo the suffering of constant labor and toil. It is going to hurt. It will be painful. But we too will receive a reward. If you have labored well, you will be rewarded with a harvest. If you are willing to endure suffering, God will reward you for your labor. Are you willing to suffer well? Are you willing to suffer as a soldier, suffer as an athlete, to suffer as a farmer? This is what it's going to take in order to perpetuate the ministry of the gospel. The first command that Paul gives Timothy here is, is we must first do what? Be strengthened with Christ's grace. The second command Commit what you've learned to others. The third command, and do your hardness, suffer well. And our final command, verse 7, consider these things. Consider what I say. Paul wants us to meditate on these things. 
have these things captured in our minds. And when we do this, when we meditate, consider these things, we are promised that the Lord will provide understanding in all things. At the beginning of this message, I related to you the story of the, the Hindustan Bible Institute up in Chennai, northeast of us. But things changed there at the, at the college. They were, they were failing to accomplish their vision of, of producing faithful men. But the leadership was allowing themselves to be strengthened by Christ's grace. And they meditated, they considered this need to reproduce ministers of the gospel. So they began developing programs that targeted faithful men. They didn't want students who simply wanted a degree from an accredited college, a BTH or an MDiv or an MA or an MTH. They wanted students who were faithful men, who were determined to go out and teach others, who would evangelize the lost, who would plant churches, who would perpetuate gospel ministry. So God gave the leadership a vision for providing non-formal training that attracted the kind of students that they were looking for. The students received solid biblical training, but it wasn't a degree program. It was simply Bible training. And it wasn't just theoretical. It was very, very practical. The students were required to go back to their home villages between training sessions. And they would practice teaching and discipling others right there in their, in their own villages. But starting such a program was not easy. It involved a lot of hard work and suffering, just like these verses talk about. Though the leadership was willing to suffer in order to perpetuate gospel ministry. And when we follow the guidelines in this passage, God wants to bless our efforts to expand the influence of the gospel through faithful men. God wants to use those who are willing, those who are submitted to him. We must allow ourselves to be strengthened by Christ's grace. We must allow God to give us understanding. We must be willing to suffer the work and the hardship it demands. We are called to commit what we have learned here to others. Let's close with a word of prayer. Our Father, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you for, for calling us Thank you for opening our minds to the gospel and redeeming us from a life of sin and judgment. We pray that we would be faithful in passing this message on to others for your glory. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Appreciate so much the message tonight, 2 Timothy 2. Surely appropriate message for us. An appropriate message uh, for what he is called to do, because he's going to be doing exactly what he challenged us to do tonight. Amen. Why don't you take your songbooks, please, if you want to go to 387, excuse me, 386. 386, we oftentimes sing this, not every time, but we oftentimes sing this when we have a missionary here. It's a song that I think uh, is always appropriate at the end of a message.